Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is best-selling historical mystery writer Rees Bowen, author of the new novel, Where the Sky Begins. Rees's novels have won over 20 honors to date, including multiple Agatha, Anthony, and McCavity Awards. In addition to her standalone novels, she currently writes two series, the Molly Murphy series and the Lady Georgie series. Rees, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your brand new novel, Where the Sky Begins, how would you describe the novel? Um, well, it's I've done several novels set in World War II that have all been very different, and this is different again in that it features the the uh, a woman in London. So it features the home story in World War II, not a way like uh, the Venice sketchbook and those. So she's a very simple woman. Again, she's very different. My other heroines and heroes have all been educated people, therefore more equipped to uh, handle what life throws at them. She's led a very simple life in a back street of London, and then her house is bombed and uh, she's buried in the rubble. So she's brought out of the rubble with literally with nothing. And I, that's what I, that was the thing that I wanted to play with with this book. What happens if you get a chance to be literally reborn? So she's wounded and she's sent out to the country to recuperate. And for the first time, she's out of London and this flat country of the east of England. And um, it's so, it's an overwhelming for her. And she could just give up then and, and not go on. But she, is, she's very resilient, and we see this resilience coming through right from the beginning. And she makes a new life for herself. Not only that, but she get, she improves life for other people. She her skills are needed to catch a traitor. So you gradually see her throughout the world growing, growing as a person. And of course, it's war. Um, she thinks she's been sent to safety because she's out in in the British countryside, and then she hears this roar. And she realizes it's right next to a bomber base. And every night these planes take off for Germany. And every morning only half of them come back. So, you know, danger and war is never far away in this book. And we find too that when she makes one step forward with progress, it's always two steps back, which is often how it was in a war. But um, uh, Josie is a very, she's a, she's a very likable, a very relatable person. And she's, she has this great perseverance, which I, I really like. Um, at the very beginning, when she's sent to the countryside, this snooty aristocratic woman where she's billeted says to her, well, when you've recovered a little, we'll have to decide what your duties will be. And Josie looks at her and she says, I'm, I don't mind helping out, but I ain't no servant. So <laughs> she, couldn't, she can't be put down from the very beginning, which I really liked. That's great. I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the novel? Um, there were several. I have friends. It, my best friend from college lives in that part of England, and I've been there, and it's completely flat countryside. Not only flat, it's rather like Holland. They drained the fields back in the 1700s, um, so it's below sea level. So you have this incredibly flat, huge countryside. And my friends take, took me around several of the aircraft museums. They were the old airfields where they've now got the World War II bombers and everything. And you, I've climbed inside a Lancaster bomber. I've looked at the leather helmets they wore and the flight suits and everything. 
And it, it really brings it home to you when you see, for example, letters home from these young men. The letter was never sent because the plane crashed and that letter was recovered afterwards. It, it really touches you, the fact that they were there. And um, the survival rate of a bomber pilot in World War II was 50%. And yet they kept signing up. So uh, you have in, in the war, the one thing that comes through in all my World War II novels is that everybody was prepared to do their part, even though it was going to be difficult, even though it was going to be dangerous. That whole feeling that this is evil, and if we don't all work together to stop it, it will swallow up the world. And um, so, and I thought it'd be rather interesting to write about a character that was a huge stretch for me. You know, she's she's uneducated. She's come from a very narrow little life in London, and um, she really has no expectations of life until she's given them. So, uh, I enjoyed spending time with her. That's great. Well, as you mentioned, you have written previous novels set during World War II. I'm curious, what kind of research did you do about World War II on the British home front as you were working on Where the Sky Begins? Um, I've done quite a lot in the past because the very first novel I wrote on World War II was In Farley Field, was about a traitor among British aristocrats who was helping Hitler with the invasion. So I did quite a lot of stuff then. Over the years, I've I've acquired a lot of um, first-person accounts. I've got ration books. I've got World War II cookbooks. Um, uh, I, there, there used to be um, a, a museum in London, a World War II museum. I think they closed it, but it was literally a museum of the Blitz, and you could go in there and you saw pictures of the children being evacuated with the with the labels around their necks. And you could actually sit in a simulated room to know what it was like during the bombing, because the whole thing shook and these loud explosions and things. So I've had a lot of really, you know, really good experiences on on this. Uh, and um, and then of course I went out to the bomber bases and I saw what the planes, these huge planes, really looked like. Well, I wonder if we could go back to your original writing journey. What led you to writing and getting your very first novel published? Um, my mother will tell you I wrote my first story when I was four, so I think <laughs> I think I was destined. Um, you know, I grew up. Uh, I was born in the middle of World War II. Actually, I, I don't remember much because I was only a tiny child when it was over. But um, I was looked after by my blind great aunt, and she she would tell me stories. And she would, um, she, we would play games of pretend. So we were always somebody else. And I think this, this, uh, I grew up thinking, okay, I'm always somebody else. You know, I'm, I'm never me. I'm, I'm pretending to be so and so today. And um, that led to stories. And um, by my teens, I decided I wanted to be a movie star. So what I did was I wrote scripts for myself. So that when I was a movie star, I'd have all these. <laughs> All these scripts that would make me look wonderful. I have to say they were all incredibly tragic, and they all ended up with everybody sobbing and dying and everything. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I think writing was something I always intended to do. I mean, not as a profession. I don't think you ever thought about writing as a profession. But right after college, I went into BBC drama in London. So I was working on all these lovely plays in the BBC. But I found myself thinking, oh, if I'd written this play, I wouldn't have ended it that way. So I went home and I wrote a play. And with the bravado of a 22-year-old, I walked down the hall to the head of drama. And I said, I've just written this play. And about a week later, he called me in and he said, we really like this. We're going to do it. So that was my first wow. attempt 
So really, since then, I've pretty much been a professional writer ever since then. So uh, I've had lots of luck, I think, in my life that um, I've moved from one genre and one thing to another and uh, and able to sort of explore different things during my life. So what a, what an incredible blessing. That's wonderful. Well, given your current success, and as I mentioned earlier, many of your novels are bestsellers. I'm curious, mm-hmm. does that ever cause you stress as you're working on a new novel or do you just put it out of your mind? It's funny. I did um I did one of these last week with Louise Penny, who's one of my dearest friends. And as you know, she's a number one New York Times bestselling author. And we both go through the same thing, we think, that it doesn't get any easier. Every single um every single book that I write, I'm in pretty much panic mode for the first fifty pages. I always think, you know, oh, this story isn't going to I don't I don't outline, so I don't really know exactly where I'm going. And I always think this story isn't going to work. Oh gosh, I'm going to say everything I want to say in 50 pages, and it's going to be way too short. Um, and then I always think, you know, people are going to say this is an awful story. How could she have won those awards? <laughs> Give them back. So th- I go through this with every book because really, if you have won awards, and if you have, you know, I was nominated. I've been nominated three times for the Edgar, which is the premier award of the mystery writing community. You you think every book has to be better. And so, yes, there is a tremendous, there's a tremendous pressure. And you'll notice none of my books is the same. I mean, they're all so completely different. It would be very easy to write, to write a, one book that go, is very close to another book. But, um, uh, you know, I don't do that. So, um, yeah, there is a tremendous pressure, I think, all the time to write something that's better. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's great. Well, you mentioned your writing process that you don't outline. I'm curious when when you do start um, working on a novel, and as you mentioned, those first fifty or seventy five pages. Um, do even though you don't outline, um, are you thinking about it? And do you write yourself some just general notes about where you think it may go? How does that work oh, yeah. for you? Yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I have uh, loads of notes. I usually have a great big whiteboard next to me on which. Uh, I either scribble things or put up post-its. Uh, I know, well, when I start the book, usually I would say most of my books are driven by setting. Um, you know, I'm writing a book, I'm writing the Venice sketchbook, and so it's actually uh, a homage to, to, to Venice, even though, you know, the characters are obviously very important. So I do a lot of my background reading ahead of time. Uh, and when I come to the book, I know that vast background. So I, I, I'd been to Venice and I'd, uh, I'd been many, many times to Venice, but this time I went specifically to do research. And so I, 
I did. I read a lot on Venice before World War Two. You know, when the uh, when the brown shirts were there, and and um, and then I read um, on World War Two itself, and I wanted to know specifically how the Jewish population was treated, and um, uh, when the Germans came in, and what happened. So I'd read all of that ahead of time. And then, of course, I had my maps of Venice, and I have all the photos I've taken over the years in Venice. And when I was there that last time, what I do when I'm researching is sometimes I will just sit in the corner of a square that's not in the touristy part and just watch people, just watch the grandmother pushing that shopping basket on wheels and the kids playing around the fountain and a very skinny cat, you know, all those sort of things that bring a place to life. That's great. I'm curious, given your successful career, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Um, I think the most important thing is you have to write something that's close to your heart. Don't ever write something because you think, oh, this is, you know, this is popular right now. Oh, vampire story. I'll write a vampire story. You have to spend, I mean, I write two books a year, which is crazy. I know, but most people will write one book a year. And you have to spend an awful lot of time with those characters. So it has to be someone that you like, that you identify with. It has to be a place that you want to go every morning. If you've just created a character for the purpose of, of furthering a plot, you're going to get very fed up with them. And the reader is going to sense that. The reader can always sense when your heart isn't in a story. So you have to write about something you're passionate about. You know, I mean, for me, the huge blessing when I was writing the Venice sketchbook was that it was the beginning of the pandemic and we were pretty much in lockdown. So for me, every morning after breakfast to go and sit at my computer and suddenly I'm in Venice, that was, that was a fantastic escape. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, let me think what I've read. Um well, uh, my friend Cara Black, I'm very fond of all of her um, her books set in Paris. So uh, the latest one was was Murder at the Port de Versailles, and I've read that. I read. I'm trying to re remember. Perhaps I'll have to look on my phone. I read a wonderful book a couple of weeks ago. I'm not very good with titles. That's my problem. I, that's I, fine. I, I read. I mean, which is which is sad because that means other people don't really don't really listen to my titles. Either. But anyway, this is called. Um, let's go that. It is called The Keeper of Lost Things, and I love that. It was a story about someone who goes around London picking up little things from, from hair ribbons to strange little things and writes stories about them. And when he dies, the person he leaves everything to tries to tries to uh, reconnect these things with their people, and they've each got this wonderful little story. So it was, it was tiny and it was small. I've just read them. Um, all in Good Faith, which was a really good book about um, about the depression and about women in the depression. Um, what else have I read recently? Uh, I've yeah. Well, of course, I loved uh, earlier this year. I loved the Rose Code. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Kate, I like Kate, all of Kate Quinn's books, but right. the Rose Code, and that was because I'd written a book set in Bletchley Park. <laughs> I was I really enjoyed it because I was able to say she's done her homework properly. This is all correct, you know, which I. And if you're writing, if you're reading a historical book and you come across things you know are wrong, you really don't believe the rest of that book. That just puts you, you know, puts you off from anything. So that's why I really work hard because I'm writing about a real time, a real place. And so I, the reader should be able to read my books and go, oh, yeah, well, that really happened. So that's very satisfying. 
That's great. On that note, do you ever have people who are knowledgeable about a certain um, uh, period of history read your novels before they're published? Um, I will often, I, yeah, I will often ask questions. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't given the whole novel to read, but right. I will say, if you were going to do this, what would you? For example, the novel I'm working on right now with my daughter and I are now writing the Molly Murphy series together. We're setting it in the Catskill Mountains, and it's just the very beginning of the Jewish bungalow colonies there. Mm-hmm. And um, I have uh, I have a very good friend in New York whose family has been in New York for a couple of hundred years, who's very well connected. And, and she's amazing because I said, so I'm going to set this in the bungalow colonies and I'm going to run it by you um, for, to make sure everything's correct. And she goes, well, of course, I know Grossinger's grandson. So, oh, that, well, that's helpful to start with. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, I will definitely run everything to do with 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 Jewish life by her. You know, would they have done this at this time? Would they have done that? And yeah, because uh, someone is going to read that and is going to be really annoyed if you get anything wrong. I was told once you can, the only things you have to worry about getting really wrong are um, uh, guns and trains, because people are <laughs> fanatical about those. And it's true. I once wrote this book in which Molly Murphy has to go from New York to San Francisco by train. And the only purpose of the train was getting her from A to B. And um, I had her stop at the station in Reno, and it's freezing cold, and she goes out to get a coffee on the station. And I had someone write to me and say, do you not realize that that particular train would have taken the Winnemucca cut and wouldn't have stopped in Reno? Like, did it matter? But it did to him. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and your latest novel, Where the Sky Begins? Um, I'm pretty much, first of all, I have a, a website, which is just Rhysbowen, R-H-Y-S-B-O-W-E-N.com. So that's my website. I'm very active on Facebook and you will find me, my author page is is Facebook and then it's author Rhysbowen. I'm on Twitter at Rhysbowen. I'm on Instagram at author Reese Bowen. Uh, I haven't yet ventured into TikTok. I don't think I dare. I don't think I dare tread there. You know, it's a bit too scary. I did say to one of my granddaughters, who's a teenager, I said, "You know, could you help me do things with TikTok?" But I think she doesn't want to get involved with a grandmother, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with best-selling historical mystery writer Reese Bowen author of the new novel, Where the Sky Begins. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Reese, thanks for doing this interview. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I've, I've had a good time. Wonderful. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.